I want to talk to you about working out your concerns and your interests. Working out your concerns and your interests. We're still talking about the family, by the way. Because in your family this year, you will have those two things, concerns and interests. Yes? When the, the chimes rang out, hailing a new year had come, What's the date today? Is it the 14th? 15th. So we're 15 days into this new year. And already, trials and tribulations have hit my family. Right? Situations have come. Potential storms have come. That's 15 days into the new year. And all of a sudden, the heat is on. So what do I do? Do I buckle? Do I bend and buckle? Or do I rise and stand? Right. You've got to. You have no option. People need you. People are looking to you for life and for leadership in your family. So you rise and you have to become the model and you have to show them how to get out of the situations they're in. But you must stand underneath it, underneath this and take responsibility in your life and in your leadership as, as a person, as an individual person. And we're not out the woods by any stretch of imagination, but we're in the fight. We're in the fight. And... You know, there's a part of me that feels good about this. Part of me feels I've got the coat for this. I've got the sword for this. I've got the shield for this. I've got the tenacity for this. I've got all that's needed to win this battle. And, you know, have you ever seen uh, or ever sensed the situation in your life when you've been praying for something, but you've not seen any evidence of any kind? It's like you hit that wall and nothing has moved. No plaster's fallen off the wall. No brick has come out. You bang that wall and beat that wall in prayer and nothing has moved. Yes? I want to tell you that a crack in the wall, naturally speaking, as we've seen in this building, can spell danger. But in the spirit, it's a very, very good sign that something's moving. And this, this in these first 15 days, I have seen in my personal life situation I've seen a crack in the wall and I'm very very excited why because in the midst of trouble I see movement I see at least there is something to work with there is potential and eventually if you keep moving it God has almost given me some hope that this has happened because you prayed about it something has shifted because you stood and you are standing and you are praying and believing me and you've taken this whole thing of the family to the wall and now I'm beginning to see cracks appear in the wall that's a good sign in the spirit so I want to encourage you that in your concerns if you get a crack in your wall don't panic it's a good sign that that pressure from the spirit is beginning to move things and dislodge things now I'm a long 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 way from getting breakthrough but I've seen I move, I've seen movement. So as I, like Nehemiah, as I survey my wall, I've seen, ah, there's a weakness. I found a weak point. I found a stress point. And there is a stress point right now going on. Not in me, in this situation. I don't want to talk about that. I just want to tell you that there is movement. And this is the, why? Because all that prayer last year, 2.16... Suddenly, in a new year, in 15 days, 
showed me that there's movement. The situation's still not good, but there's movement. So I'm happy there's movement. Come on. You've got to keep pressing until you see some movement. Don't expect the wall to fall down just because you pray. First, see the signs. Get ready for signs. Well, if you're not happy, I'm happy. I said to Phil, I am happy. I've seen, I've got hope. I've got hope. I've seen movement. So because of that, I'll stand at my watch and I'm going to keep pounding that same thing, knowing that little by little, things are beginning to change. I want to encourage you as a family, whatever you're going through, to keep standing at your wall and this year you'll see some movement. It might be small, it might be minute, but it's amazing when you're dry and you've seen nothing, a little bit is good. It's very, very good. So, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, a scripture that we've often read, and we'll read again. Why why do we read it again? Because it's in the Bible. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out salvation, your salvation, With fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Why? To will and to act. So why is God working in you? To will and to act. God's got to bring his will into you and then you act on his will. Amen? God must work in you. Come on, listen to me for a minute. God must work in you. So that God's will is in you and then you can act on what he's worked inside of you. So in, in theory, you work out what God's working in. Yes, you have to work out what God is working in. But you have to work it out so God can work it in. And what God works in, then you work out. Does that make sense? So, but I don't want to confuse you here, but you must work out what God's doing with your life. So... So there's two ways we can use that word work out. You must think about what God's doing so you can work it out, understand it, and then you must literally work it out. Does that make sense? I want to confuse you with the two words, two meanings of work out. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So his purpose has a will and it has actions. You and I both need to discover the purpose, not only the purpose, but what is God's will for you and what do you need to act out? That's so key for you. You've got to work that out. That's your daily, daily task. That's your daily concern and that's your daily responsibility to work out God's will and to act it out. Does that make sense? So throughout this year, there's going to be two, there's going to be two distinct dichotomies going on in your life. And when I say dichotomy, I mean it's a division or a contrast between two things that can appear as though they are opposed entirely and different from each other. And when I say that, if we use the word interest and concerns, they can pull us in opposite directions. Yes? And at times, there's a dichotomy because I have an interest, but I also have a concern. And my interest can be a concern, and my concern could develop into an interest. 
And we have to manage these two things in our lives because they have the potential to pull you and tear you apart if you don't understand them. We all have interests, would you agree? We all have concerns, would you agree? Of course we do. As we come into 2.17, we take in the two, we take 2.16's concerns into 2.17. Why? Because a concern remains a concern until something changes. Yes? And an interest remains an interest until you no longer get any fulfillment from it. The moment you stop getting fulfillment, it's not, you're no longer interested in it. So fulfillment is we all need to be fulfilled. We all want to be fulfilled. God wants you to be fulfilled. From his purpose. And in his purpose, his, his purpose will create concerns and interests. You must be able to manage these two things this year in your life throughout 217. Both can demand. Both place demands on your life. Without a doubt. If you've got children, you will always have concerns. And they will always have interests. And they will place great, great demands on you. As you develop your children, and those, their interests can become your concern. In other words, their interests can cost you a lot of money. And you see how much they get from it, and then your concern, how can I keep paying for this? Because I don't want to let them down. I see how much they get from them, but we just can't keep afford. We can't keep affording sending them to riding school or to whatever it is, whatever it is they do, gymnastics school or whatever. Both are demanding, both carry a measure of responsibility, both carry weight and pressure. I have, I'm fortunate at this point in time, many of my concerns are my interests. Very fortunate at this point in time. They're very closely linked. My interests create me concerns. Does that make sense? But when they're completely uh, separate, one will try to make, get you to make a choice and, get, and try to um, draw you to one side to give it more attention. And the potential is to neglect the other one. Yes? And a concern creates anxiety. It creates fear. It creates all kinds of internal stress. But so can an interest. An interest can create stress and fear, and it can create frustration. Both have the power to speak. Both have a power to send you on a path and in a direction. How many people abandon Christ for different interests? How many people let go of God because of their concerns? Come on, think about it. The Bible's always telling us, in the midst of your battle, stand strong. Have faith, develop, build. As you've just heard on the testimony that Pat's given, how in the midst of that, a concern could be to run. But wait, where's she running to? Running, there's nowhere to run. Other than to Christ. And God's word came to her. Why? So that she could not be, she would not be bound by the past. So, She's got interest, but if her concerns overtake her, she'll never get to the interests. I really want us to manage both well this year, and I want us to give both equal focus. 
You need to pray, your prayer, sorry, your interest needs just as much prayer as your concerns. Why? Because your interests drive you forward. They pull what God's put inside of you out of you. Come on. Interests are what create other groups and create opportunities to create new friends. Come on. Interest is the door to learning more. You learn more with an interest. Interest causes you to posture yourself in a different way where a concern causes you to think differently, act differently, and you only end up having stress and anxiety with concerns unless you act responsible about a concern. How many of you know worrying is not dealing with a concern? Worry is the concern dealing with you. It's true. So we have to learn to manage these two things wisely because they're, they're in our lives. And when you've got children, it's amazing how much you put your interest to one side. Because children have a way of, ta- of causing you to sacrifice what you like and you do for them. But you can't just live your life for your children, but you've got to live your life with your children. Amen? Because your children's going to go, and then you're going to have no life. Let the children see your life. Let the children see your interest. Why? Because it's interest that creates an interest in them, and it creates the legacy. That's why you're following your father's mother's footsteps. Why? Because Johnny saw mom and dad doing it. So interests are very good. Very, very good. Is this helping you? Every family building their wall this year will have to take stock of their concerns. I will not let my concerns dictate and stop me moving forward. They will try and they will speak if I allow them to speak. But if I stand in the way and say, no, you will get what you deserve. You will get the time and attention that's needed, not the time and attention you want. Yes? Jesus did not spend his time with the wrong things. Neither must you. Concern will drain you if it's not managed and it's not understood. Now, with concern, obviously, you need perspective. And we'll maybe highlight some of that in a minute. So let me just read to you Romans 8.28. So... We've looked, at, we've looked at Philippians. We have to work out what God's working in. We have to work out our salvation. Just hold that scripture there because not, we've not finished with that. But I want to take you to another scripture, Romans 8, 28, which states, And we know that in all things, God works for the good. Just stop there a minute. So God's working. Every day, God's working. God's got interests, God's got concerns. His interest is you, his interest is his church, the interest is the nations. Yes, his concern is equally for the nations, for you, for those things. That's why they're interceding up there that you'll come through. So there are concerns up there. So God every day is working. Now, let's just read that again. He's working for what? Come on, read it for me if you will, please. He's working for the good. For the good. So what's taking God's 
What's getting God's attention? The good. He's working for the good. He's not letting the negative distract his interest. His focus is balanced in his concerns and his interest, and he's working for the good. Come on. He's working for the good. You and I must work for the good. See, the bigger picture, what is the concern trying to stop you from? What's it trying to do in your family? What's it trying to do in your life? What, what is its consequences of this taking us down? What will it stop? You must work that out. So if, if my situation continues and I don't do anything about it, I, I seriously as a father get hurt. Right? As a married man, as a family, we get hurt. But I'm not, I know what that will do if I let go of it. So I cannot let go of it. So I must work for the good. Because there's a purpose in my family. I must work. I must be about my father's business. So my father's working for the good. So I must join me with the good and let the good things get the time and the focus. Because it's the good things that God spoke about. I know God's with me in that. And he's working for what? Let's have a read of it. For the good of those who love him. Do you love him? So God's working on your behalf. Does this make sense? And who have been called according to his purpose. You mean the same purpose that he has a will and he has an act? Yes, that same purpose, Tony. Right. So if he's, if he's working for his good purpose, I must understand what his purpose is because in his purpose, there's a will and there's an action. Can you see that? I'm glad. I'm really glad you've seen that. See, why do we let what we don't understand stop us from enjoying what we do understand? Because what we don't understand tends to create a strong concern. And doubt, suspicion, the worst thing in any person's life, in any married life. Do you know what it is? I, I said this only yesterday. The worst thing can ever, you can ever let into your marriage, it's this, suspicion. Suspicion is the worst thing you can ever, ever have into your marriage. Because suspicion has no answers. Suspicion, you create this whole scene, don't you, with Suspicion. This theatre goes on in your head with suspicion. And then you feel a right fool when you realise it wasn't like that at all. But because you, you were suspicious, you thought, you created, and the, en- and the enemy just sat there going, hey, we, hey, you danced. You danced at my tune. So we cannot let what we don't know stop us from enjoying what we do know. Because it's in what we do know that we can rectify what we don't know. Yes? You can't fix something when you don't know it. But you can fix something with what you know. Yes? So if I spend more time on what I know, what I know God's working in, what God's working out, what God's purpose is, if I spend my time at that point, I am always working from maximum capacity. Amen? Come on, think about this. When you lose a sense of perspective and you lose a sense of direction in your life, you think you're lost. 
stop. Just stop a minute, because I can see you're not on the page here. You can be in a car with a sat-nav, and the sat-nav goes dead. Are you lost? No. Why? Stay on the road until the sat-nav comes back again. Right? Or you see a sign. Right. Sign-nav or sat-nav, either one. You're not all of a sudden lost because your screen goes blank. Come on, think about it. But in Christianity, the moment we forget, we don't see what God's doing, we think we're lost. We think we're lost because we can't see where we're going. And at that time, you need to take stock and say, well, I know where I've come from. It's how you think. I know I've come from here, and I know I'm on here, and God spoke to me here. And God, right, Re- reconvince yourself, rework it out. I'm on this road, so I don't see where I am right now. What's that got to do with it? You must learn to drive blind. Not literally. In the army, they teach you to drive at night. You seen the advert? When a guy's driving through the, through the woods? I don't recommend it. You've got to learn to keep your life going when you've got no light. Come on. You've got to work some things out. So, don't stop. Don't let what you don't know stop you from enjoying and being fulfilled with what you do know. Because it will, you know. It will. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, and not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I've been writing something this week on the power of absence. What absence does to people. When certain things are not around their life and they're absent. It can be very destabilizing. Very nerving. And Paul wrote a lot to the church about absence. I want to get it all together. I'll come and talk to you about this. But the thing is about absence is that Paul noticed, not so much absence, but he noticed the behavior of this group of people in the Philippian church. He said, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, so they've got history. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. In other words, they knew how to behave when he wasn't there. They knew how to, to, they knew how to balance concerns with interests. Because when they were pioneering the church in Philippi, there was a lot of opposition. Every city where you go to, uh, where you read in the New Testament, there was always opposition. Why? Because Paul keeps writing, warning them how to stand in the midst of opposition. But here Paul sees a group of people and commends them for the way they behave, whether he's there or whether he's not there. They know how to measure, they know how to balance, they know how to live this life, so that they can move the church forward, but also deal with the concerns as they're rising in front of them. Because 
Again, in Scripture, very often we read how certain people became overwhelmed by the concern and let the concern stop them moving into their interest. Yes? In fact, if Paul, if the disciples hadn't have seen this issue of concern and interest, they would have carried on staying, feeding food to, at the table. Hello? When the widows were complaining, the Hebrew widows were complaining that other people were getting food and they wasn't, it would have been very easy for them to put all, to double up on the manpower and to focus on the concern. But the concern was, let's get the word to the next level. They dealt with the concern with wisdom. What, if we don't deal with this concern, this concern will actually kill our interest and our momentum. So they, they re-evaluated the situation. And I'm t- talking to someone. You need to re-evaluate your situation. So that you can move to the next level. Because you're treading water here. And you're not going to get out of it. This is going to take you down. If you don't move to interest. Because you're not managing it at this level. So you need to make an executive decision. In your own heart and mind. Right? I need to move from this concern and move towards my interest. Come on. And in moving towards your interest, you may get the answer. So Paul wrote to this church. And he put a confidence confidence in the church that when Paul wrote to them, he could commend them for both things. Whether I'm here or I'm not here, you guys are doing really well. That's what he's saying. You can imagine how they felt about that. As they're reading that letter, hey, our dad, our spiritual dad's pleased with us. He's commending us that, we, that we're not infants, we're not children. We know how to address ourselves. We know how to work out what God's working in. We've understood God's purpose, or we're understanding God's purpose. Despite all the conflict, he's still working things out. And Paul commends them for their ability to deal with their concerns and keep their interests alive. Yes? So if if we have to write you a letter today, and and that we were Paul, could we, could you write to certain members of your family and commend them, or would you be concerned about them? So it's important. So when I've looked at this, and I did this in in, in the, I covered this this scripture in uh, discipleship when we first started it, I got my revelation on Philippians 1, uh, 2, 12, sorry. And I, I see this, that when, if you begin to work something out, you must consider things. Yes? You must begin to consider some things in order to work it out. It's in the considering that you're starting the journey and the process to move from concern. You're addressing the concern. You are addressing the concern. And the concern must be addressed, not ignored. Yes? You cannot bury your head in the sand and do not acknowledge the concern and deal with the concern because the concern will always follow you and hunt you down if you don't deal with it. So you must consider first. Then you must conclude what you're considering. So if I'm talking to Phil and say, let's consider this idea, as we talk about this idea... By the time we've finished dialoguing together, we must conclude. Does this seem good? Does this seem doable? In fact, we did that only last night. We had a chat over something. And as we were dialoguing, we concluded. 
We give ourselves an action plan of what we are dialogued about. Then, the more you conclude, then you must become convicted that this is the right thing for us to do. Yes? Sometimes you go away after you concluded and you think about it, then doubts and, 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 and you know, you become unsure a little bit. And, and that could be good and that could be negative. Yeah? Because as you talk about things, God may begin to speak to your spirit and begin to show you or put things inside your heart. He says, that's not good. It felt good when you talked about it, but now you've mar- it's marinated a little bit. God's begun to speak to you. You've got some concerns. You've got some feelings. You've got some concerns. Yeah? So you, you must be convinced about what you're talking about. What you're working out, you must be convinced. This is the right way. This is the right thing. This is the right emphasis. In this time of your life, this season of your life, there'll always be an emphasis. Come on. There'll always be an emphasis in your life. And God's saying, this is what needs dealing with now. This is the direction you need to go in now. For us, our emphasis right now as a church is get this school up and running. That's our emphasis. That's part of our emphasis. That's not the only emphasis. That's part of the emphasis. Because God's saying, I've told, I've spoke to you. Why would I change my mind? If you don't see any students, you're struggling. Did I change my mind, Tony? No. Right. Find another way. Don't keep coming to me saying, did you say? If I've had a conversation with you, son, that's, we concluded this is what I want. You got convicted about that. Why do you now doubt about what you became convinced of? Why? Because I don't see an answer. That does not change nothing. All that changes is how I'm going about it. Might need to change. Timing. So once you become convinced, you must become convicted. I'm convicted that the school is God. Yes? I'm convinced. I'm convicted. I just would like to see some other signs. Yes? I'd like to see some signs, Lord. So, Lord. <laughs> and then, once you have been, um, sorry, once you've been, once you've considered and you've concluded and you become convinced and now you're convinced, it's time for action. Action is the last C. You must continue. Continue in what God has spoke to you about. Giving equal measure, giving equal uh, attention to your concerns and to your interests. You must not let your concern stop you moving towards your purpose. But you must address your concern so that you can move freely towards your purpose. Let me say that again. It was so good, it was worth the entrance free. You must address the concern so it then frees you to pursue the interest. And as you start moving towards your interest, you'll find fresh concerns. Yes? A concern, one concern can take a year of your life. It can take two years of your life. It can take vast amounts of your time And then you feel that your interest is no more time or opportunity to pursue your interest. And as you get older in life, that becomes very real. And your interest now becomes your concern. For for those who are getting on a little, 
and I put myself in that bracket, and I say on a little, once you start in your 40s, you're getting on a little. It's amazing, this life does not seem that long when you're trying to live purpose. You realize that you're getting older, and you don't have the energy for some things, you don't have the ability for some things, and all of a sudden, you realize there's little time to actually make a difference in life. And I'm at that point now, when I'm thinking about pioneering, I want to pioneer. And I'm thinking, me, pioneer? You're joking. I did it once. I didn't like it. It's hard work. So think smarter. You raise others up to do what you know is the right thing to do. So we are pioneering rather than me. Work smarter, not harder, as BT told us. It's in the working out of your salvation that you come across this dichotomy of your concerns and your interests. I'm well aware that these two meet me every morning. At the bottom of my bed, they pull me out in the morning and say, welcome, it's a new day. Who are you two? I'm concerned, he's interest. These two people meet me and greet me every morning. If you think you know God then trouble will reveal to you whether you do or you don't. Many of us know that by now. Trouble and hardships reveal exactly your level of faith. Come on. They reveal exactly your level of faith. They reveal your depth or your lack of knowledge. Yes? And they also reveal, and here's a big one, your false, inaccurate expectations of God. Well, I expected God to bail me out. I expected God to do this for me. I expect, I expect, I expect. Guess what? God doesn't work to your expectations. How many people thrown the towel in because they were cheesed off that God did not meet their expectations? Because they don't know the ways of God. When you don't know the ways of God, hear me, you will judge his acts. Children do that all the time with mum and dad. Why did you do this? It's not fair. Their mum and dad have to show them their ways. Their ways is what brought about the action. Their concern brought about an action. Children don't see that and they throw all the toys out the pram. And all your struggles with your children is bringing them over to your ways. Because your ways always have an action. And if you have an action without explaining your ways, that will breed frustration. Most parents say, the kids say, why? And what's the answer? Because I told you. Just do it. Gee, thanks, Dad. That gave me a lot of wisdom and insight into what you were thinking. Dad says, it's not the problem, son, you're asking. It's that you always flip in ask. And you never listen. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 23, I'm going to give you a really encouraging scripture. This is Paul's discovery. What's he saying ahead of your Bible? What is it saying? 2 Corinthians chapter 23. What's the heading in your Bible? Oh, sorry. I've not put, the, I've not put the, the chapter in. You'll know it. It's Paul's hardships, shipwrecked. Sorry, I've not put the chapter in. I've just put the verses. 
My fault. I think it's 11. Is it six? Six. And I'm reading it from the message version because the message version just helps me this morning. The message is not a Bible. It's a paraphrase. And it's just a summary of what Scripture is trying to say. So, but it, this kind of sums it up really well for me. So just bear with me. I've worked much harder. It won't say it like this in your Bible because I say I'm reading from the message. But it's summarizing what your Bible's saying. I've worked much harder. I've been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count. Is that encouraging you? And at death's door time after time. I've been flogged. Five times with the Jews, 39 lashes. I've been beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rock, with a, with what a rock once. I've been shipwrecked three times. He's not answered the name of Lucky, this fella, does he? And, he? and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling a year in and out, I've had to find rivers, fed off robbers, struggled with friends. Struggle with foes, have been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by the desert, sun and sea, storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather, and that's not half of it. That's not half of it. Really. And when you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties, meaning concerns, of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of this rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin and angry, fire burns in and out. Is it fair to say the boy has had some concerns and yet he's still got interest? Which one spoke louder in his life? The interests. The interest was the reason, the purpose, he went through all that. Kept him going, absolutely. Kept him going. You see, to get shipwrecked once is enough. To be stoned was a sentence. You didn't recover from being stoned, you died. Yes? I know stoned in England means something different. But being stoned in those days literally meant a rock was thrown at you, pummeled against your head or your face, and killed you, knocked you out, and that was it. Stone wasn't drink or drugs. Yeah? We've changed the words and the meaning for that. But the, what I want you to see is, is this, is that the same guy who wrote about his experiences, wrote about, the what, he wrote about what he knew and the one he knew. The same guy who wrote about his experiences was the same guy that you read in Romans 8, 28, which states, and we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And who have been called according to his purpose. Did that sound good? Come on, be honest. Does a shipwreck sound good? Does a stoning sound good? Does going without food sound good? 
Of course it doesn't. Does sleeping in the desert, freezing, being burnt in the day, frozen at night, sound good? No. Lord, I can handle one shipwreck. Surviving one shipwreck is amazing. But to survive three of the suckers, Paul, you might want to have learned a journey. Get a donkey somewhere. Sailing's not for you, boy. Sailing's not for you. You're a Jonah. Every time you get in a boat, it sinks. But here's this bloke. He's not perturbed by his last encounter. He gets on a boat again. He is not contained and limited by his concerns. His interest is what propels him to have another go, to get on another boat. Many of you, I mean myself, who have one experience, one is enough. You're never going back again. True? We have one experience in a hotel, we never give him a second chance to make amends. Come on, be honest. Why? Because you and your rights get in the way. I'm paying good money for this. Sort yourself out. Learn a lesson. You can get an awful lot if you're willing to treat people differently. So the one who wrote is the one, the one who wrote about God works everything out is qualified to talk to us about concerns and interests. He's qualified. So I think we're reading the right guy. And if it's God's word, God put that in there for us. Paul wasn't writing for himself. He was writing for all future readers. Yes? And, and, and all the detail was in there. All the tragedy, the blood, the snot, the tears, the whinging, the whited, the moaning, the complaining, all that's there for us. Why? Because Jesus had to become like one of us so he could identify. So we need as much, we need as much commonality in there so we can identify with it. Amen? Paul wasn't Jesus. You can say, well, Jesus was the son of God. Yes, he was, but he was still a man. But Paul was just like you and I. He was arrogant. He was hard. He was a persecutor. He was a murderer. That was his past life. Then he has a new life, and he's just as, he's just as rigid in his new life. He's not, you're not, he's not a guy that you took lightly. You didn't invite him to a dinner and talk about football with him. He just wanted to talk about God and God only. That's the intensity of this man. We understand that, so you don't invite him round if you just want a social night. So Romans 16, verse 25, Paul again, the writer who's written Corinthians about the shit, you know, about his shipwrecks, his traveling, his tough, his tough life. He's written in Romans 8, 28, that we know in all things God for works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now he says in Romans 8, 25, now to him who is able to establish you, how? In my gospel. Paul's saying, look, if I'm going to suffer for this, it's mine. If I'm going to suffer for what? For my interests and for my concerns. If I'm going to suffer, then I'm going to be an equal partner in this. Lord, you gave this word to me, therefore it's mine. Now, if you all have this attitude, this is your gospel, right? 
If you all have this attitude that it's your gospel, why is it yours? Because it's revealed to you. You don't own it in the sense that you wrote it, but it's yours because you're a partner with it. Now, if you can read scripture like you're a partner and an owner, scripture takes on a very different meaning. If Paul's always writing to somebody else, it's never yours. I read this Bible and it has context and it has meaning. I know I'm not stupid. I know when he says to the church at Philippi, he wasn't writing directly to me. His context was he was writing to them. But because this is the living word, not an historical word, because it's a living word, when I read it, he's writing to moi. Does that make sense? That's why the Bible says it's living and active. Where's it it living and where's it active? Moi. So when I read it, I expect God to speak to me. I'm not on a boat, but I might feel shipwrecked. Yes, I might not, I might not be uh, stood outside and people throwing stones, but I feel like I'm being pummeled. So there's enough in there for me to identify with, and there's enough in there to identify with me and me with it. So it's living and it's active. That's what makes us partners. Oh, this guy, I know how he feels. What, was you in a boat? No. But I feel lost and deserted. I feel the waves of life are washing over me. So I don't have to have the same encounter as him to identify with him. Why? Because this thing cuts deep. It cuts deep. So now to him who is able to establish you in my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long, for, uh, for long ages past, But now was revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Amen. He's got an understanding of God. He's got a personal relationship with God. He's got a personal walk with God so that his concerns, never did Paul feel abandoned in his concern. In all his concerns, He never writes and tells us he felt abandoned. He tells you how he felt in his flesh. But he never tells you, God deserted me. What's the first thing you and I do? Is we revert to the spirit, God's left me because life doesn't feel good. Actually, life feeling bad, it means God's a lot closer to you than he is when you can't feel him. Yeah? Yeah? Paul told us that never once did he complain. And where was he when he needed him? Three times he let me in that boat. You think he'd have told me? He's given me visions, he's given me mysteries, but he can't tell me this boat's going to sink. You can call me in the middle of the night, in the middle of a dream, and tell me to go to Macedonia. Can you imagine Paul saying, do we have to get a boat? (laughs) No, okay. Can we walk? Anywhere, Lord, I'll go anywhere for you, as long as there's no boats involved, because me and boats don't go well together. Now to him who is able. And then he says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. So when we read before about God's working in, now he's acknowledging that works within us. 
But what we see here is Paul could talk like this in the midst of his concerns and his interest. Paul knew someone very specific. And in all that he went through, and you must know this God that Paul's talking about, this mystery that was revealed to Paul, and hard, hard-hearted, headstrong Pharisee. If God can reveal himself to a hard-hearted, headstrong Pharisee, he can reveal himself to anyone. But once he does reveal himself to you, you've got to get to know him. You've got to work out what God's working in. Because you won't go through this life and fight for your family and contend for your family if you don't know, the, if you don't know God. Because if you don't know God, all you've got to rely on is your worry and your nerves. And you think by worrying about it, you're getting somewhere. You're getting nowhere. It's putting you in a grave. Knowing God is the answer to changing what you're going through. Knowing God, God, there's two kinds of trouble. Let me encourage you. Two kinds of trouble. There's the trouble that God sends. And then there's the trouble that God uses. Get that down. That's going to help you. That was definitely worth the entrance fee. The trouble that God sends. Does God send trouble? You bet. Read your Bible. When nations ignore him, he sends trouble. Yes? But then there is trouble that God uses. How many of you know good things happen to bad people? And bad things happen to good people. Yes? Not all things were, were good. But God uses what he uses those things to perfect. And God uses those things to build character. And relationship and intimacy. And change you. Why? Because he's got to use life to work some things in so you can work them out. Every situation, God's trying to work something in. So it might be patience. The fruits of the Spirit after the fruits of the Spirit need opportunities. Lord, give me patience, give me now. We've all prayed that prayer. How many of you know patience doesn't come now? Patience comes through an opportunity. So when you're stood in, in my pet hate is when you stood in the queue and everyone's dead slow and dawdling. Yeah, move on. And then I go, opportunity for the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, go on, love, get in front. Seriously. I'm aware at that moment, God switched me on to that moment when, it, when he shows me, Tony, we're having a moment here, aren't we? And it's going on internally. I'm never going to blast and tell everybody, but there's a moment going on. So if there's a moment going on inside me, it's not good. Because just because I kept my mouth shut, that wasn't the fruit. That was called discipline, self-control. But the fruit was is when I recognized it and I chose to change. Yeah? The fruit of patience and self-control. And I, I think, and I think to myself, just hurry up, darling. You're taking ages. Get the flipping cans in the bag and get out there. This is what's going on in my mind. And the Holy Spirit knocks on, hello. And you go, sorry, Lord. Two steps back, game over. Okay, Lord. And I'm looking like I'm all angelic in the shop. But inside me, there's a devil rising, raging there. Let me out. Let me breathe fire and stone on him, Lord. Hellstone, I should say. Brimstone, whatever you call it. You know your moments. You know your moments, don't you? When you don't get what you want and you think you're entitled to something and you got those moments it's in that moment God says 
great opportunity here, Tony, or whatever your name is, for some fruits. I don't want fruit. I'm not shopping for fruit. I want something else. Give me now. You can go on like that the rest of your life, or you can use the opportunity for Christ to bear some fruit. There's a difference. I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to be uh, opinionated. I don't want all those things. I want God to use those situations to train me. Yes? I don't want to have to keep repenting. Sorry, Lord, they made me do it. So, now to him who is immeasurable, who who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, imagine, according to the power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church of God. Paul's understood. He's got the balance right of how to handle his concerns and his interests. But his reason why he's got that in balance because he has spent more time getting to know the one who's leading him. The one who's leading him. Paul did not allow his concerns to distract him at any time in that scripture that I read to you about his shipwreck, his encounters. Not once did he turn around and say, I'm throwing the towel in. I'm brassed off. This God never comes through for me. Now that boy, in many ways, he seemed like he had more persecution than Jesus got. Right? But, he, got, he lost his head in the end. Just don't lose your head. Keep your head in all situations. That's the guy who told us. The guy who lost his head told us to keep our head in all situations. Yes? And he kept his head. He kept his head in all situations. He birthed the fruits of the Spirit. He did not respond like the crowd was responding. So your interest, Philippians 2.4 tells us, each of you should not look to your own interests but to the interest of others. So your interest can't only be your interest, they should be the interest of others as well. We have different kinds of interests. We're not talking about hobbies. Hobbies is only one kind of interest, but other people's welfare should become our interest. Should be our concern to see others advance. And when I say others, I don't just mean your family. So easy just to look after your own family. We do that. It's natural. It doesn't take any spirituality to look after your family. Why? Because it's your family. Now, there may be individuals in your family, the further you go into the lineage, you might not like. Then it might become a sacrifice. But your own flesh and blood, you're the first there. Is that true? So he says, each one of us, each one of us, each one of you should look, not only to your own interests. So he's saying you're going to have interests. We understand that. But there are other interests beyond you. And your attitude, now he's coming down to the spiritual fruits. Your attitude has got to be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't only deal with you, but he looks at the interest of the whole world. He's looking after every one of us. He's involved in our life. Every one of us has got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got a direct line to him anytime, 24-7. You may not know how to hear him. You may struggle in that department. You may struggle in formulating prayers. Guess what? Just give him your heart. Don't formulate a prayer. That's what, that's what Church of England does. They put it in a book and they all read it. It's the same one every week. Right? Don't, 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 don't do that. Just let your heart go. Lord, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to talk. Talk to me. Let's just talk, son. Get it out of your heart. Let him know how you feel, what you think. 
And then you'll find, you find as you keep doing that, you'll find a way, there'll be grace, words will come, and there'll be a flow develops. But start where you are. There is no prayer other than the Lord's Prayer, right, which formulated, just get on your knees and start praying. Or on your feet. Put your hands out your pockets. <laughs> Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Listen, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For, you, for everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Here's a father, Paul, who's raised a son, spiritual son, who has the interest of others, just as Paul did. And Paul could release this son to go and look after the needs and the interests of other people. He said, I have no one like him who takes a genuine. He wasn't serving other people to get something from them. He had a genuine concern and an interest for the development of others. Friends, if you want to help yourself, help others. Help others. Look to the interest of others. Take a stock around this place. Take a stock on your street, in your, your workplace. See what the needs are. See what the interest of others are. Talk to the Lord about it and just do something. I'm going to read one last scripture and then we're out. There's a difference between growing, growing in your understanding from knowing and understanding all things. There's a difference between growing in your understanding from knowing and understanding all things. You have to learn to live with what you don't understand. This is a big issue of Christianity. You must live with what you don't understand and be at peace with it. There's so many things I just do not understand. I'm sure you're the same. The world is quick to judge and make comment about so many things, but you've got to understand at times there are things you just don't understand and you have to learn to live with that because God does not have to reveal everything he knows. He chooses to reveal his nature to you, but he doesn't reveal everything he knows to you. Christ will reveal everything about himself to you, but he doesn't necessarily tell you all he knows. Because he's unfathomable, he's unsearchable, these depths. Did you lay the foundation? He says this to Job. And Job's trying to say, I have a right to know what you know. And then all of a sudden he says, Job, come in here, son. Have a word with yourself. Was you there when I laid the foundation? Uh, no. Was you there when, the, when, when the, I said to the oceans, this far and no far? No. And you can see Job going, I started something. I like boats. And, and, and the Bible tells us in Job that Job puts his hand over his mouth and shuts up and he's like, I have got myself into a conversation here that I should not have gotten myself into because I let what I didn't know frustrate me and now I think, think I'm entitled to know what I don't, I don't know. I can put his hand up his back and he'll tell me, no, he will not. The secret things, Proverbs 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. But what he reveals to you are there forever. 
So there are secret things that belong to him, but what he reveals to you is yours. Last scripture, like I said, what 2 Corinthians 6, verse 13. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distress, in beatings, imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, in the right and in the left. This is some kind of hall, this is. Through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always, rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything, we have spoken freely to you Corinthians. In other words, we didn't let any of our experiences stop us from opening our hearts and telling you about the one we know. And then he says this, and this is my appeal to you this morning. Yet I speak, uh, sorry, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open our hearts wide to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yourself from us. You've not gone through, this is what Paul's saying now, you've not gone through anything like we've just described. You've gone through some things, Paul's wise enough and intelligent enough to know they were paying some sacrifice. But these boys had had a life of it. So he says that, he said, that's my credentials. And never have I ever once closed my heart to you, despite my concerns and my interests. I never used any one of them to derail me. And now I appeal to you, don't close your heart. Keep your heart open so that your interest and concerns, God can keep on speaking and you can keep out working out and working in what God is revealing, what God's doing in our lives. He said, Corinthians, don't close your hearts. Don't close your hearts. Don't withhold your affection to us. You are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you, to my children, open wide your hearts also. What a beautiful conclusion Paul makes. What a beautiful insight Paul had. That despite all that ugly stuff, he's still willing to keep his heart open so he can reach people, share his life with people. Never once did he let his, his, his bitter past come into his future. Never once did he let his hardships create an bitterness and hardship. Paul kept his heart open. Why? Because he knew it was the key to moving forward. Many of us feel like we've been on that ship and we got shipwrecked and we felt God abandoned us because we were in the sea a day, a night and half a day. We felt like God abandoned us and God doesn't listen to us and God's not interested in us because we went through some stuff. And I appeal to you and tell you in the mercy of God, it's the stuff, the fact that you're still here, it's proof that God was in the stuff. Because many went through the stuff and didn't make it. 
Come on. You've all got a story to tell. Big deal. Put it on there. One down. There's a thousand to go. We've all got scars. We've all felt like someone's thrown stones at us. Who are? Come on. We can all trade stories and all feel sorry for ourselves. That's not what he's saying. He didn't say let's have a pity party. He said let's, let's take stock. Let's work some stuff out here. Let's work our salvation out. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be concerns. And there's going to be interests. Which one is going to derail us? The answer should be neither. Let's stand to our feet if we will, please. I hope this word has helped you. Put some encouragement into your spirit this morning. Because I didn't have a clue what I was going to talk to you about last night. <laughs> I didn't have a clue what I was going to talk to you about. I didn't come into about 10 o'clock last night and put this together. But that's the grace of God. To feed you because God knows what you need. Amen? God gives me things for us as a family. This is our time to feed. But let's not just feed, let's do something with it. Amen? Let's just raise our hands if we will. This year, Lord, we're going to work out what you're working in. We are seeking, Lord, to complain less. We're a grateful people, Lord. We've made it this far. Lord, and I speak to those who are progressing in years, who have got concerns and got interests. Father, we are, thank God that we're going to be living in the days of fulfillment. There will be no sorrow to what you've given to us, Lord. There, will be, there won't be disappointment. For those who love you, you work for that good. So, so my friends, all I can say to you is love God. If you love God, God will keep on working for you. To those who love God, all things work. All things become doable, possible to those who love him. So maybe this morning you may want to just come back to the cross and say, Father, I want to reaffirm my love for you. Come on, come back to the cross and say, Lord, I'm coming back again. I'm not going to let my situations, my thoughts, what I don't understand, stop me from what I do understand. I'm coming to you, Lord. I love you. I'm reaffirming my love to you, Father. Continue to work, oh God, out. Continue to work your good pleasure, your good, perfect will to purity inside my heart, oh God. Let purity rise within my, my spirit. Oh, Father, you're a good, good God. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. For you're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all your ways. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. Oh, my Lord. Father, we thank you for today's word to our lives. We know the song, Lord, regrets we've had a few. But, oh God, we've got many concerns. And we have many interests. I pray, Father, for the house this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you give us the ability to rightly discern and divide the attention to both. I pray, oh God, you'll give us the wisdom. I see the sword of the Spirit coming, coming down 
upon us. God's going to help us. God's going to help you to rightly divide what is what is truth and what is fiction in your life. I see the sword coming down right now. Come on, just receive it. Lord, let it fall upon my household. It's not destructive. This is a good sword coming. It's given to you to help you rightly divide. It's going to cut through joint and marrow, flesh and, and, and soul. It's going to cut through all those things so that the concerns and the interest of God are, are, sorry, are kept pure. And that the flesh does not take you out. I see the flaming sword being established in the households this year. The more the word is used, the more the, how, the, the sword will be established in houses. The sword of the Spirit. I encourage you to, get, to listen to this message again. Get these scriptures clear in your heart. Next time you feel you're sorry for yourself, read Paul's troubles. Suddenly shake yourself off and say, I'm, nothing, I'm not, nothing like that. Right then, you have nothing to complain about. But what you're going through might be real, but sometimes self-pity makes us feel like we're, we're in it far deeper than we actually are. Don't send any invitations out to a self-pity party. We don't want to join in. So the sword of the Spirit now has been given to us to rightly divide, separate joint and marrow, flesh and blood. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a stand ovation.